Thanks be to God. Let's pray. This is the beautiful thing about liturgy, is we can all just pick it up and do it. Uh, Dear Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your written word. Um, We are also thankful for the word. Uh, The word who was in the beginning, who was with you, Father, and who is God alongside you. We ask for wisdom in understanding uh, this text, Um, but more than that, we ask for humility and a sense of awe to come over us, uh, that that these five verses describe Jesus. Uh, Would we worship you today and be convinced of your glory and power and might? In Jesus' name, amen. Our church is blessed with a lot of creative people. Um, He's not here today to thank, uh, but Ryan Chen did the art for the sermon series. And next week, um, uh, Avery uh, made some bookmarks uh, to go in your little journals with the art in it. Um, And so it'll be here next week. Um, And on the back of the bookmark will be his artist statement, and I'd like to read it to you. He says, for the John series, Seeing God, I wanted to incorporate a few ideas of Jesus into one illustration. For the main composition, I drew inspiration from Jesus as the great I am. I based the design off of those letter forms and included other imagery. The miracles that Jesus performed in the first half of John were very sensory in nature. He often met others' tangible needs, which were at times mysterious and challenging to comprehend. And I've incorporated hints of eyes and hands that are partially obstructed to reflect this. The clouds, like Carl the Fog, roll in and out, making it hard to see the light sometimes. The abstractions of ripples are a nod to Jesus' metaphor of the living water he offers to the Samaritan woman at the well, the source of eternal life. Uh, These artist statements are always so humbling to me, um, because as a non-artist, my first thought is like, that's nice. I like it. (laughs) Basically like a four-year-old. Artists look at the world differently, um, and more than that, they help us look at the world differently. And the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, was an artist. He saw the world differently. He saw Jesus differently. If you compare him to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's a different kind of book. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were skilled writers. Uh, the other Gospels are intelligently written, sophisticated. They're tightly organized, uh, profound presentations of Jesus. But John's Gospel is just different uh, when you read it. I mentioned last week how the early church characterized all the Gospel writers as different creatures, and they've taken those four creatures uh, from Uh, the vision in Ezekiel and Revelation around the throne of God. And you have Matthew as the human face with Jesus as the teacher. Uh, Mark is the lion roaring to all who hear that the king is coming. Uh, Luke is the ox who so emphasizes Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. And John is the eagle who soars above everyone else to give us the big picture. Uh, Contrasting the synoptics, that's the name for Matthew, Mark, and Luke together because they sort of, they... Uh, see with one eye, synoptics, Um, and contrasting them with John, St. Augustine, uh, the church father, wrote, these three creatures, the lion, the human, and the calf, are earthbound. 
Their gospels are primarily concerned with what Christ did in the flesh and with his instructions for the conduct of moral life. John, on the other hand, flies like an eagle above the clouds of human weakness and gazes on the light of unchangeable truth with the sharpest and steadiest eyes, those of the heart. The first three evangelists present their different accounts of what Christ did in human flesh during his historical life, whereas John had in view, above all, the Lord's deity. That's why I titled the series Seeing God, because John, more than the other three, is at pains to convince us that Jesus is God. At the very end of the book, uh, the author states his purpose very clearly, John 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so it is vitally important that we believe and remember that Jesus is God. Uh, Now, it is good news that Jesus is human. Uh, We preached through the Gospel of Luke a few years back, and in the process, I grew to adore Jesus and his humanity. Um, You read Luke, and it just... um, his sweetness as a human being just leaps off the page. Uh, No sane person can dislike Jesus as a human being, um, in my opinion. He's just the most perfect person. Uh, The way he talks to people, the way he listens to people, the way he draws near to the hurting, the way he defends the oppressed against the oppressor, he is a beautiful man. Uh, When I can't trust anyone else, when I can't trust myself, I can trust Jesus. Um, a lot of you have heard me say, it's something that I, is still true for me, that the thing that I'm most looking forward to in heaven is a hug from Jesus. It's the thing that I can't wait for. Obviously, there are other things, freedom from sin, excited for that. A perfect body is a good thing. Reconnection with loved ones, I'm absolutely, but I want a hug. And the only reason that I can get a hug from Jesus is because he's human, because he has a body. I couldn't hug God. Um, He's a spirit that cannot be seen or touched. But Jesus has flesh, and that makes him huggable in a way that God is not. That's not the only reason, of course, Jesus being human is good news. Jesus' humanity is good news because he can understand what it's like to be human. He sympathizes with us. So Hebrews 4 reminds us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We just uh, went through the story of God, and when when God presented himself as a cloud of fire. The people of Israel were very scared. Um, and, and, but then God comes as a human in the flesh, and he draws us to himself. Jesus, as a human, understands your plight. Uh, he knows what it's like to be sick. Jesus had a fever. Jesus threw up. He injured himself. He had aches and pains. He struggled with his family. He struggled in friendship. He experienced loneliness. Jesus knew what it was like to grieve the loss of his dad. Joseph is nowhere to be found in in his public ministry because he likely died earlier, and so Jesus had lost his father. Jesus knew what it was like for a friend to die. And John the Baptist and Lazarus, Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. 
He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows the attraction of sin. He felt its pull. Jesus, because he is human, is able to sympathize with us, and that is good news. Um, I don't know if you've seen the recent Christian ad campaign, He Gets Us. Um, They have a bunch of spots. They had a Super Bowl spot. Um, and each version of the commercial, they have, I mean, it seems like half a dozen, um, is similar where they use contemporary pictures of human brokenness and points out how Jesus' biography maps on to those uh, contemporary pictures uh, so that Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood, to be a refugee, to live in poverty, to be hated. He knows what it's like to endure political violence. And there's a whole list of things. And there is a lot of comfort in those commercials. Jesus gets us. He is God-made human. He knows what it's like to struggle. But the Gospel of John reminds us how that's not enough. It's not enough for Jesus to just get us. If I spend enough time with you, you can get me. Uh, You guys are great. You can listen, you can cry with me, you can give good advice, you can sympathize, but my problems run so much deeper than advice. My problems run so much deeper than loneliness. I need more than Jesus' sympathy. I need Jesus to save me. I need rescue from death. And the only way Jesus can rescue me from death is if Jesus is not just human, but also God. I need more than forgiveness. I need recreation. And only the one who created life at the beginning has the power to recreate life in me now. And so the Gospel of John doesn't begin his gospel with the baptism of Christ like Mark does. It doesn't begin with the birth of Christ like Luke does. It doesn't begin with the ancestry of Christ. It's where Matthew starts. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, before there even was a beginning, and begins with the divinity of Christ, for whom there was no beginning. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1, we learn four things about the Word who would become Jesus. We learn how the word is God, that the word is creator, the word is life, and the word is light. God, creator, life, light. And so whatever we read later in John about Jesus, what he did, what he said, who he was, John begins his biography here wanting us to know that this very human Jesus who lived, died, and was raised from the dead, was first and still is God, creator, life, and light. First, Jesus is God. So John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's intentionally alluding to the very first words of the entire Bible. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But he slows that verse down for us and points out how God wasn't by himself when he created the heavens and the earth. Wasn't by the God the Father wasn't by himself. In the beginning was the Word too. The Word was already there in the beginning. It was with God. It was God. Um, this is in many ways uh, the beginning of the doctrine of Trinity. You can you can see it in other places, and it's built uh, from all of Scripture. Um, but here it is clearly on display. 
Christians have taught for millennia that there is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that can be hard for us uh, because it is admittedly illogical for anything to be one and three at the same time in the same way. And so I can't be one person and three persons. That is, doesn't make any sense. But that's not the doctrine of the Trinity. It's not one God and three gods. It's one God and three persons. So God is one in this way and three in another way. And so one way to think about Trinity is the Trinity is that God is one what and three who's. So that can be kind of a clever way to think about it. We read the New City Catechism every week. We read the Ten Commandments today. Um, and questions two and three were read back in January. Question two, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Question three, how many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And you can see how the early church worked out this ministry from John 1, because in the beginning was the word. It doesn't say in the beginning became the word. It just was. It was already there in the beginning. That means the word wasn't created, and the only thing uncreated is God. But the word was with God, alongside God, and so there's some distinction in God. He's close to God, and yet this word was also God. There's a lot here. Uh, Theologians have wrestled with this and continue to wrestle with this every year, Gobs of books are published on the Trinity. But one thing we can say from John 1 is this. All that can be said about God can be said about the Word. And all that can be said about the Word can be said about Jesus. All that can be said about God can be said about the Word. And all that can be said about the Word can be said about Jesus. And so we could rewrite question two, the answer, and say the same thing about Jesus, that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. Jesus is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Can you trust Jesus? Yes, you can trust Jesus. Can he save you? Yes, he can save you. If God is all-powerful, so is Jesus. If God is all-knowing, so is Christ. If God, by his very nature, always does what is good, right, and perfect, Jesus also always does what is good, right, and perfect. Everything God does, Jesus does. And that's challenging to us, because if there's something in the Old Testament that you don't like, Jesus was there. He did it. He was there, too. We can't divorce the Old and New Testament. He's always been there because he's God. That's the first thing we learn. Second, the word who becomes Jesus is the creator. If Jesus is God, that means Jesus is the creator of all things. John 1, 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If you read this in the Greek, there's a clear contrast between the verbs used for God and the verbs used for everything else. So the verb that attaches to the word is just was. 
So the word just was. It just exists. The word, the verb that attaches to everything else is become. Again, ata. So the word was, it is being itself, and everything else becomes. It comes into being. It receives being from God through the word. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And so that means that as we read about Jesus in the Gospels, John wants us to occasionally look up and note that everything we see, Jesus made. Everything you see in this room, Jesus made it. Everything about your own person came to be through the word. When we read about him performing miracles, healing people, raising people from the dead, taking five loaves and two fish and feeding thousands with it. Really, whenever Jesus does anything, miraculous or not, when he just does normal things, he is working with what he made. When he challenges Satan in the wilderness, he is challenging something that he made. When he casts out demons, when he opposes the Pharisees, he is speaking to them as their maker. He is speaking to you as your maker. He made you because there is not anything made that was not made through him. He is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the creator, and that's why it is most fitting for him to be the recreator. The Son of God created everything, and so the Son of God recreates everything. Athanasius, another church father, writes, The renewal of creation has been wrought by the self-same word who made it in the beginning. There is thus no inconsistency between creation and salvation, for the one Father has employed the same agent for both works, effecting the salvation of the world through the same word who made it in the beginning. Jesus is the creator. Third, Jesus is life. What does this mean? How is this different? It means that not only does he create all things in him, all things hold together. And so things continue to be because of him. John 1, 3 through 4, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Um, it's common for people to think of God creating the world like an inventor right, where he creates the universe and then lets it go. Uh, that's called deism. It's not Christian. Um, but it, it makes sense why we could think that, uh, because that's how we create, right? People are freaking out about artificial intelligence, chat GPT, because we make it, and then it, it does its own thing. We have no control over it. And so what's going to happen? It has a life of its own. That's not how God makes things. Things don't have a life of its own. Um, they have life in God. Only God is eternal and self-sustaining. Life cannot exist apart from God's sustaining power moment by moment. And that's the foolishness of sin, to think that I could disconnect myself from God and find life apart from him. It's impossible to do that. 
It's foolish and ridiculous. I cannot sustain life in myself. I am a branch that needs a vine. And the moment I cut myself off from that vine, I start to die. John is written for dying people. He's imploring us to believe in Jesus. Attach yourself to the vine. Because in Jesus and in Jesus alone is life. Notice how the word of God doesn't set aside his deity when he takes on flesh. So Jesus doesn't pause being God in his earthly life. He doesn't sort of give his work to the Father and the Spirit and say, you take care of this while I'm, while I'm gone. He continues to sustain. The word of God, the Son of God, continues his divine work. He has to, because without him, life would cease to exist. He is life. And so that means when we read the Gospels, when we see Jesus talk to people, not only did he make them, he is actively sustaining them as he talks to them. It's mind-blowing. Even the people who are resistant to him are only alive in that moment because of him. The people who disbelieve, me, when I disbelieve, when I sin, Jesus is sustaining me in the moment of my sin, holding me together by the will of his power because he is gracious and good. Even though I resist him, even though I run away from him, Jesus is sustaining you right now. You are alive because he has chosen to keep you alive. Why? Because he wants to draw you to himself. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so he is sustaining the world. He is sustaining you so that he can draw people to himself. Even in the face of their rebellion. He holds out hope. He pursues. Later, Jesus will say in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is life? Life is knowing God. That is life's purpose, to know and revel in the infinite glory of God, which is why last Jesus is light. He is God, creator, life, and light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The entire purpose of the Son of God, even before taking on flesh and becoming Jesus, his purpose in creation, his purpose in providence, in time immemorial, the eternal purpose of the Son of God, of the Word of God, is to reflect the glory of his source, God the Father. That's what he does. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's what he's about. And we see that over and over again throughout the Gospel of John, the, the unity between Father and Son, the unity that God has, that Jesus has with the Father. Why did Jesus come? To reveal the Father. What does Jesus do? He only does what Jesus tells him to do. We learn that in John. What does Jesus say? He only says what the Father tells him to say. What is eternal life? To know the Father. What is Jesus' prayer? That we would be one with the Father as he is one with the Father. It's really hard for us to imagine being so in intimately attached to another person. 
I, I, have a, I honestly have a hard time with Jesus saying, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. That doesn't make sense to me. It's hard for that for me not to think that that's boring, right? Like, that it's inhibiting. Doesn't Jesus want to be his own person? Can't he just sort of like do his own thing? And the fact is, Jesus does not want to be his own thing. Why? Because the glory of God is that good. He is so in love with the Father that he is happy to only do what the Father tells him to do to only say what the Father tells him to say. And he is so confident in the Father's love for him that he is completely safe to do only what the Father tells him to do, even to the point of dying on the cross. The Father told him to do it, and he, he did it because he knew the Father loved him, and he knew the Father was good. That is not me. That is not us. We rejected the glory of God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But rather than cast us off, which is what we do when people don't respect our glory, right? Who needs you? God doesn't need us. He could have said that, but he loves us. And so he sends his son the eternal word to save us, to reveal his glory again in the flesh. In the Old Testament, there were kinds, all kinds of revelation. There were sort of many incarnations of the glory of God. But for our ultimate redemption, God the Father asks his son, the eternal word of God, to use all the attributes he held in the beginning as God, creator, life, and light, and to apply them to our salvation so that the word of God literally created the flesh that he would fill. He created the flesh that he would live in, that he would suffer in, that he would feel pain in, that he would die in on our behalf. He would sustain that flesh through temptation, through difficulty, through hardship, he sustained his flesh while his flesh was causing him pain. He held it in existence. And you know, he didn't create a perfect specimen to wow us in the way that we would if we had that power, right? What would you do if you could create a body for yourself? It would be majestic. Um, according to my 13-year-old son, no lie, this is a word young people use to describe attractive people. Majestic. We were watching a TV show, and it's like a real casual thing. And he commented how that guy was majestic. And I was like, what did you say? <laughs> He's majestic. And, and the thing is, he was majestic. Like, the guy was very attractive. But the word feels like a little much, uh, right? I don't like that word applied to attractive people. Jesus is majestic, but he was majestic in his lowliness. Isaiah 53 said that he was not attractive, so he created a lowly body. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Christ Jesus was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When he had the power to create flesh for himself, he created a slave. One theologian writes, not that he exchanged the form of God for the form of a slave, but that he manifested the form of God in the form of a slave. In Christ, God is fully and truly with us as fully and truly one of us. And thus the self-emptying in the incarnation of God of the one who was in the form of God is the full embodiment of the heart of God. If God were to become human, Jesus is what he would be like. Because God's glory is different from our glory. God's majesty is different from our idea of majesty. If God were to become human, Jesus is what he would be like. And if a human were to be like God, Jesus is what he would be like. In the prologue of the Gospel of John, the Apostle John wants us to think of God when we think of Jesus and to think of Jesus when we think of God. God is not hiding himself in the person of Jesus. God is showing himself. Do you want to know what God is like? God is like Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Everyone loves to say that God is love. God is love. And what is love? Love is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love is an eternal father and son agreeing together to send the son to die in the place of sinners. That is what love is. That is what God is. Who God is. The Apostle John would later write in another book of his, 1 John, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the beauty of John's prologue, John chapter 1. In this cultural moment, we love the humanity of Jesus. We love how kind he is, how gentle he is, how wise he is. We love that he gets us. And that is good, good news that Jesus gets us. And the thing is, if you love Jesus, you love God. But more important, if Jesus loves you, God loves you. God loves you. In Christ, you can be his recreation. This is what God is like. This is who created you. And he can recreate you. He can forgive you all of your sin, heal you of all your infirmities, make you new. And so let's believe in him. Let's place our full trust and confidence in Jesus. Let's receive him as God, creator, life, and light. Let's pray.